First Peter, First Peter chapter four. We'll begin in verse one. We're starting this chapter, First Peter chapter four, and we've been going through this book, passage by passage, verse by verse. We have some titles for the chapters, which are just ideas of perhaps an overview of the of it. Chapter one was salvation begins our sojourn. And we went through that. And then <clears throat> chapter 2 was submission bridles our sojourn. So our submission to Christ, to God, to the Word of God, to the Holy Spirit gives us direction. And when we think of, of Simon Peter, the apostle, the disciple, the fisherman, we see that as he became more bridled, yoked up to the Lord uh, through submission, that his submission brought a blessing to others. And then chapter 3 was subjection blesses our sojourn. And he goes through the different roles that we play in our daily life. And when we think of it in this manner, then we realize that we come to chapter 4, and this passage of Scripture, we're going to say suffering burdens our sojourn. Now we are on a sojourn. We're, we are on a journey. When you hear the world say that you're on a, they're on a journey, etc., well, they are. They are. Now, <clears throat> I said this to some folks on Sunday. Keep in mind, at the forefront of your mind, at, at, as one of the foundation stones that you stand upon, that everything starts with the Lord, and all else is either a copy or a counterfeit. Uh, sometimes it's a it's a counter against it okay sometimes it's truly opposition but everything starts with the lord so when he talks about this life as a child of god being we are pilgrims and strangers that we are on a sojourn okay then what happens is it gives us a picture and when the world uses it they're just using a truth and they're adapting it to however they want to view it. So be very careful, especially as a Bible-believing Christian, be very careful thinking that if the world says it, I have to go the opposite direction, or if the world says it, it has no power. Because then when you hear someone teaching and preaching the Bible, the danger, and I mean a danger for you, is to dismiss it out of hand, set it aside, etc., because in your mind, it sounds too much like the world. Now, if you listen to your Bible and true Bible teaching and preaching more than you listen to your television or your telephone or your tablet or your computer, if you listen to it more, then it will permeate your mind more than the other. And when you see the other, you'll dismiss the other out of hand and cling to the Word of God. Now, that's important because we're going into a passage of scripture here where it says that suffering burdens our sojourn. Our sojourn isn't a light journey. It's not as a, a say, typical or ideal tourist taking a journey. It, Paul said it this way. He said, we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. He wasn't saying that's how you get in as in by it through your suffering. He's saying that's the path. Between here, salvation, and eternity, okay, 
whether through the clouds or through the clods, between here and there, we're to bear a cross, and that cross is death, and it's death to self. So suffering burdens our sojourn. Expect to be burdened on the way. Now, I think, personally, through many, many years of this, walking, reading, living with the Lord, that kind of thing, following the Lord, watching others, helping others, counseling others, I think that the average Christian is carrying burdens they're not supposed to carry, and it's keeping them from carrying the ones they should carry. We're going to preach on that soon, on burdens. And the reason is, is because a lot of people are carrying certain burdens or you know maybe a sense of guilt about something or a burden about something just because it's culturally ex- acceptable and expected and we'll talk about that all right first peter chapter 4 verse 1 and as we begin this we'll read a few verses together and we may not cover each of those verses along the way <coughs> but Understand that we'll, uh, when we get through this, you'll see that suffering is a part of our sojourn. It burdens our sojourn, but he gives us some ways of dealing with it. Chapter 4, verse 1, For as much then, now we've pointed out this to you before, when you find these kind of words, when you find a therefore, uh, when you find a wherefore, in chapter 3, verse 1, you find a likewise And the likewise is referring back to the shepherd and bishop of our souls who was in subjection, okay? Who his own self bear our sins and his body in the tree. He submitted himself to the Father's will. And so he says, likewise. Well, here he says, for as much as, for as much then as. So he's going to now make an appeal to our Savior. And so it's important to know the life of Christ first and foremost, as you find it in your scriptures. Then you will find people that have, you know, made considerations or even conjectures. But as you've heard me say so many hundreds of times, some of you, clear teaching. Three C's, clear teaching, consideration, conjecture. Spend 90 plus percent of your life on clear teaching. Your your mind, your curiosity is drawn more to consideration and conjecture. You will hear consideration conjecture taught as clear teaching in seminaries and places like that. So he says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. As I said to him on the weekend, you may pry my Bible from my dead hand, but my motto isn't that you can have my gun when you pry it from my dead hand. Why? Am I a pacifist? No, I'm the opposite, okay? But I do know from reading my Bible that God's way more concerned with me living my life as Jesus lived it, as Paul lived it, and hundreds and thousands of other saints than he is with me having so-called liberty that I think some document, man-made document, gave me as I live here in the United States as an American. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. The first thing a child needs to do is be armed with the mind of Christ. Now, many of you want to arm yourselves with the mind of Christ the lion, but he's not the lion right now. He is king, but he has not taken over all of his authority yet. The Lord 
is working out his plan. He is giving the Gentiles a chance to fill their cup up, etc. So we need to arm ourselves with the mind that Jesus Christ had on earth and that he communicated to us. Now that mind is not by nature. That mind is not accomplished by character or by discipline. That mind is not infused into you the moment you receive Christ. I think Christians make a huge mistake. It's subconscious and many times, but it's worked out outwardly, consciously, when they just expect others to know what they know. You might be, let's say you came to Christ and you've been a Christian 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Let's say you've been in a Bible-believing or a Bible-preaching church, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And someone comes to Christ, and it doesn't matter if they're 10 years old or if they're 50 years old, it doesn't matter, they're still a baby in Christ. They're still needing all the stuff that was put into you. And many of you, many of you forget the process that God did for you. Uh, you know, a child, a baby is unaware, totally unaware of what was done for them. For months and months and, and really for years. And then they get to the point where... <laughs> They take for granted what was done for them. You know, they get to the, be teenagers and what they think ought to be done for them, okay? And so as Christians, we must understand that this thing here is a process, not just an infusion, an event. He says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Now, this statement is so powerful. I want to read on down and we're going to come back. But that statement in itself is a philosophy. It's a mindset, right? Arm yourselves with this same mind. The right use of the word philosophy, that is words you live by. Okay, those things, as a Christian, we have. He did not when he said, you know, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. It's a mindset. And the mindset is so important. And you don't get it through hearing this one time. Okay? But at some point, it's really important for a person to come in contact with it the first time. And then to hear it a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time. So it's a mindset. Let's start reading verse 1. Let's read down to... <clears throat> uh, let's read down to verse 7, okay? For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he should, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. While when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? 
For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now we're going to walk through this together. Now, <clears throat> Peter's, Peter's speech in verses 1 and 2 is soldier talk. It's soldier talk. It's saying prepare to die, prepare to suffer. It's, it's you won't need it where you're going. When you cull the stuff out of your pack that you're no, you don't want carrying around all your life. On the sermon on burdens I'm about to do, the idea is you have to choose your burdens. You have to choose what you're going to put in your pack. Now, there is a definite sense in which pain purifies us as humans. Not always, I know, but it does in general. It purifies. Suffering cleanses. For the most part, people sin less when they're sick. Too sick to sin. You're, you feel weak. There is a sense in which being in a situation of suffering it will burden our sojourn, but it will help us. The fellow has said, how do you make a good soldier? He said, by persecuting them. In other words, by putting them in hard circumstances. There's a strange thing goes on, a spirit that is out there today. I imagine it's been there for 6,000 years. I wasn't around in the first century or the 15th century. I'm just around in the 21st century, so I don't know. But I do know that the last hundred or so years, there's been a strange thing that wants to say, well, I didn't really want to be a soldier of Jesus Christ, so I think I'll just turn that down. I will defer that part of being a Christian. But the problem is, if you want to get to heaven and have a full reward for your life down here, you have to take on some of that soldierly mentality of arming yourselves with the right mind. I know many, many a person, many, many a man and a woman who are armed. Now, my prayer has always been, my attitude is, if you, have, if you do not train consistently, if you do not get actual training on the use of that thing, not just shooting it, but how to use it, say, in a crowd, how to use it and when to use it. If someone is stealing something out of your yard, the Bible doesn't give you the right to shoot them. It does not. And the, the thing that is, has happened in many parts of the world, take here in the United States, is they think they've been told that the right to bear arms is the right to intervene with arms whenever you feel it. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible does not teach that you can take somebody's life because they stole something. There are certain things in certain ways. And, and we're talking about the Word of God here. So I'm saying all that to say that the arming is in our mind, and it's a soldierly mindset. That soldierly mindset says, okay, suffering's coming. What does it do for me? For example, verse 1, He that hath suffered, end of the verse, in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Suffering cleanses you out, purges you out. It changes how you look at things. I don't know anyone that truly walked with God that didn't suffer and that their suffering didn't help them walk with God. 
<clears throat> I've never met anybody like that. <clears throat> in 68 years and in 50 years of being saved, I've never met anybody like that. So when I say that, it's not just, you know, flippant. Now, the sentence continues from verse 1 into verse 2 where he says, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh less of men, but to the will of God. So a soldierly attitude is one of presenting oneself to submit, of presenting oneself to actively obey. And you've heard this illustration, I'm sure, before from me, but I never tire of using it. I use it in my own life every day. <clears throat> there is active submission. There is passive submission. There are places for passive submission. There are. That's the Lord willing. Deo Valente, DV, Lord willing. Some of my prayer requests on my daily on my prayer list, I've got DV, Lord willing, do this. There's also the sense in that sickness may come your way if the Lord wills. We do all we can on our part for that not to happen, so we're not susceptible to it, etc. We pray for it not to happen, okay? But a person's not backslidden if some kind of illness or or something or disease or accident comes to them. But when we think about the statement that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh, rest of the time where? Here on earth. So from the time you come to Christ, or we'll say from the time you arm yourself with this mind that we're speaking of in verse one, from that time, the purpose of that mindset is that we should no longer live the rest of our time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Now, let's take the phrase, the lust of men. For a bunch of people, they'd say, well, you know, I don't drink alcohol no more, and I don't smoke dope no more, and, you know, that. Well, I hope you also don't watch pornography or even touch it. I hope you don't go running around lusting on other women than your wife. I hope you don't go around coveting someone's new truck or car or house. Uh, ladies, hope you don't covet someone's appearance, looks, husband. Lust is any, get this, inordinate affection. Any affection that's out of order. Inordinate, out of order with God. So we're not to live. See, it can be something good. But you want to do it so badly that it keeps you out of church. It can be something good, but you want to do it so badly it keeps you away from your Bible or keeps you away from, from fulfilling some of the roles in 1 Peter chapter 3, those relational roles. So he said that we should not live the rest of our time, should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the what? To the will of God. That's what walking with God is about. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Okay? Be not as a horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. In the passage, he said, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. You know, I was speaking with somebody at a, at a gospel outreach this past week. 
and we were talking and some things came up and so I used the illustration of horses, stiff-necked. And of course, stiff-necked means, it doesn't mean, like I said recently, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed or you had your pillow all wrong. Stiff-necked is a will thing. It's a will thing. Stiff, your neck is how you steer horses. It's how you steer cattle or oxen or anything. It's the neck. When we are stiff-necked, it means our will is not submitted. So there are things that is passive submission in. There's things that we just, they come our way and we accept them. But then there's active submission and that really should be about 90% of our life. Active submission is obedience. We might say passive submission is an acceptance of what comes our way. But active submission is where we're to live our life. Okay? Active submission is like this. Passive submission would be, uh, let's say you're by a body of water or swimming pool or something, and you're sitting in the chair, and someone says, get in the pool. Let's, let's take military, okay? And the drill instructor says, get in that cold ocean. And you're, you just stand there. And he says, if you don't get in the ocean, I'm going to have these men pick you up and throw you in the ocean, and you wait and you let them. Okay? It's like Jonah did. That's passive submission. Active submission is when it's an ice, the ice cold ocean and you don't want to get in there and you know he's going to have you roll around in the sand and it's going to be cold and when your head hits that water, it's going to feel like somebody put it in a vice, but you jump in anyway. You dive in because you're told to. That's active submission. Now, I will say this to you. Many people act like, they behave like, they even talk like, Obeying God actively is, is this great torment. There's very few things unless you're very self-willed and you are still walking in the, those lusts of the flesh and of mankind. Very few things that are like that. They might be inconvenient to the old nature, but, but you are your new nature. So when we think about suffering... Okay, we're going to think about the difference between an everyday mindset and a walking believer's mindset. Submitted actively to God. So when he says in verse 3, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. So it really, it it doesn't please God for you to carry the burden of the past life. It's over, it's done. Under the blood. I like the little song. He says, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. And it's the Lord replying to somebody. A forgiven believer is forgiven. It's redeemed. It's atoned for. Now, when we walked, verse 3, in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries. <coughs> Those words in your Bible, in your English Bible, your King James Bible, God chose those words through those men. And here's the cool thing. Those words have numerous synonyms. And I hope, you know, you take some time to learn what synonyms are and research them. In English, synonyms. Those synonyms and those definitions of those words, for example, in a Webster's 1828 dictionary, are far more illuminating, light-giving, than trying to go back to 
hidden, honestly, so-called original languages and taking the word of people who through the years have decided, well, this ought to be and that ought to be, but they are not nearly as up to date. Someone says, well, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls and all that. If you'll take your King James Bible in English and study English and study the words of it, that word burden, for example, you can't imagine how many different applications it has. You say, well, that makes it more difficult. No, it makes it more picturesque and it makes it more powerful when you study it in the context. So this is a treasure, this English Bible. Now, we walked in lasciviousness or lust or excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries. See, for everything you can say, well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you're going to fall into one of those. Because when you start running down those synonyms in English, you're like, well, yeah, well, I, I, I was into that. So Peter is expressing the mind of the Gentile who's had enough of the world. Okay? They've, they've had enough. Uh, Huber says banquetings. You know what that is? That's any way in which you honor someone. All these way, all these different things they honor. It's humanism. And it is not unusual for a person who comes out of that and comes to Christ and gets their eyes opened to maybe go to an extreme and just you know write off all of that, even if it was something that was for. I mean, when I graduated from Bible Institute, that we would have a. a graduation dinner where they all gather together and we would give gifts to the to the founder and doc and the teachers and stuff we would do that well that's not banquetings banquetings is an imitation of that that is that the flesh decides how to do it so you don't write all that off together you have to have discernment but he said when we walked in he goes on to say, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right. I love my Bible. Uh, you run with the crowd. You may be walking down the midway with them, but you're running with that crowd. To this day, we use that term, uh, who they running with. They use it when they're investigating gangs. They use it when, they're, when you're trying to find out who's influencing who at school, who's in, influencing who in the neighborhood. Uh, on sports teams, the coaches and managers, they want to know who's running with who because it's going to affect them. When they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. And so it's a re reference to Gentiles and maybe even to some Gentile Christians who had not gotten in all the way, as in committed, as in living that life that is obvious. When you are hanging around with people, you're running with them. You want to write a reference down. A great description of it is over in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. Let me uh, abbreviate. Okay, here we go. Uh, verse 15, run 15. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Who are you going to run with? You're going to run with those people? So you run with a crowd. A crowd can be two or three of you. <laughs> Sometimes the mischief of just two or three is enough to, to bring down a whole community. And the sentence goes from three and four and five, where he says, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick of the dead. So we read it and watch. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles 
When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. You want to write a little something in your margin of your Bible? Say that word, it's riot. That's the same word that was used for the prodigal son, riotous living. We don't know that he spent it on harlots. His older brother accused him of that. What we do know was the Bible said he wasted his substance on riotous living. So he says the same excess of riot. And riot is an unruliness. Be careful of you of defining Bible words by your modern day news media or your limited vocabulary. Get an education. Use a dictionary. I've had people ask me for years, I'll, you know, something will come up and they'll say, okay, what does that word mean? I'll say what? Look it up. The exercise of looking it up is, is, is so helpful to our attitude and our spirit and into our remembrance. Now we'll stop there for now, verse 9, but, but let's read the verses before we close. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So there's always this thing um, about who's he talking to. He said the gospel was preached also to them that are dead. So the gospel was preached to some who had already passed on. That is the first and obvious application of it, okay? And we will get into this again more at length <clears throat> because he's trying to show that there's an accountability that God sets up. This accountability, okay, is important because God uses us for accountability. When you're out witnessing, you're passing out a track, uh, let's say you're... you're, you're somewhere where you're trying to pass out tracts and people did, you know, decline them. You're not trying to damn that person. You're not trying to make them feel guilty. You don't have to. If they're under conviction, God will remind them someday that they had that chance. So we are laboring with God. Now the attitude isn't, oh, we're out there. We're going to make them accountable. No, we want to see them come to Christ. If you lose your compassion, go find it and get it back. Because I don't care how much you believe your Bible. If you've got no compassion for souls, you've lost something. And you may know exactly what the Bible is, but you lost something. However, God will use these things to bring them to accountability. Because he said in verse 5, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? Who, shall, who will give account? They think it strange. The people who think it's strange that you run not with them. So it might be believers who have gotten further and further and further towards the world than they are towards the center of Jesus Christ and the Bible. It might be your lost friends or family. Whoever it is, for us to go through this, we need to get armed, as in armor, with the same mind of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, with, Lord be with you. Father, we pray you'd use this stuff now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.